football fans. Another exciting week has come and gone for the world of woe. So this is the Women's Soccer Slash Football Podcast. I'm Bryce, and I'm here to talk all about it and all the exciting stuff that has gone on in it. A lot of more things have been going on in the FAWSL world, more so than the NWSL, US Women's National Team, and international stage. But nonetheless, we've got you covered here. So without further ado, I just want to let you guys know, if you're watching this on YouTube and you want to listen to this on the go, we have an audio-only version that you can listen to on any podcasting platform that you can pretty much think of. And also, we're on TikTok and Instagram if you're looking for more consistent everyday content. So with all that down and out of the way, let's start getting into the episode. So since the NWSL has a little bit less news, we'll start off by stopping over to them this week. In this week's episode, I'll just share a few different news headlines that we have seen. So the first of which is that the NWSL did their second round of COVID-19 testing and good news, zero positives. The NWSL reported that they've tested over 700 players and staff, if I'm not mistaken, and none of them have overturned or None of them have shown positive results, so another really good sign the NWSL is doing everything they can in order to keep the COVID-19 pandemic under control, at least in their league. So good on the NWSL for that. In other news, Angel City FC announced that owner David Dobrik is no longer an investor with the team. David Dobrik, for those of you who don't know, is a very popular YouTuber. I believe he has over 18 million subscribers, so he's a pretty large YouTube personality. He, he and his channel have been facing some misconduct allegations. There's not really a ton of information out there on it as of right now, but more on that later. So that's just something to keep your eyes out on. Uh, and lastly, OL Reign have signed two new players. I want to make sure I get their names right. So they have signed forward Miranda Nild and goalkeeper Ella Diedrich. The really interesting thing about them signing uh, Miranda Nild is that they immediately loaned her out to Christian this I'm trying to remember the name of this team, Christian Nods, DFF of the Swedish League. So I thought it was really interesting that they signed her and then immediately loaned her out for the entirety of 2021. Her loan period is going to last till December 31st of 2021. So they sign her, but then they loan her out to another team. So I, to me, it, it, it it's strange, but it also shows a sign of faith that she is going to grow and play really, really well over in Sweden and then come back and bring that valuable experience to OL Reign. So interesting on their part, but then again, I think it shows a pretty good sign of faith that they have in Miranda. So good on her for that. And then in terms of goalkeeper Ella Diedrich, she graduated from the University of Washington State in 2019, and she was, I believe, a non-roster invitee to the February 21 camp for OL Reign, and she has now earned a signing with the squad. So that's some really, really good news for her. I don't believe she has played professionally since she's graduated from school, so this is going to be a really exciting opportunity for her. And I think for OL Reign, it makes a ton of sense, right, because they were pretty sparse on goalkeepers coming into this year, and now I believe they have three, if I'm not mistaken, they have Ella Diedrich now, Cosette Morche, if I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing her name right, and Karen Bardsley, who is going to be coming from on loan to Manchester City. So now they've got some goalkeeping depth that they have in their roster because for a while they had zero goalkeepers. So like I said, it makes a ton of sense for them to be signing more keepers as time goes on. This does beg the question though, if you guys have watched some of my old videos, I've mentioned a few times that some players from Olympic Lyonnais might be coming over and signing with OL Reign for the 2021 season, but and one of the names on that list was Sarah Buhati, the French international goalkeeper who, in my opinion, is one of the world's best. This kind of begs the question, 
is she still going to be coming over from Olympic Leonese to OL Reign? The fact that they have three goalkeepers, it's pretty rare in a roster. You'd want more than three, so I don't know what this means for that deal in particular. To me, it's an indicator that it's probably, in my mind, at least not going to happen, at least not for Sarah Buhati. I can't speak to Wendy Renard and Jennifer Merlitson, but to me, this is probably an indicator that Sarah Buhati might not be coming over to OL Reign, but I guess that's another thing to keep our eyes on as well. So, with all that down out of the way, ladies and gentlemen, are there any other big news in the NWSL that I might have missed? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know. Alright, so, what's next on the docket? Alright, so next, hopping over to the FAWSL Match Week 17. This was a really interesting week for the WSL because a lot of games ended up taking place on Wednesday and Friday, as I kind of alluded to in the last podcast episode. But then we also had a couple, we also had a match occur on Sunday. So just to make sure you guys are caught up on all the action, I want to reveal what all the results were from match week 17, with the caveat that some of these games might be makeup games. So that's just the reality of the COVID-19 world that we live in. So uh, on Wednesday, March 17th, there were quite a few fixtures, four of them to be exact. In the first one, Everton took on Chelsea, and Chelsea won that one by a scoreline of 3-0. Who all scored for Chelsea? Uh, Fran Kirby, Perneal Harder, and Melanie Loopholes all managed to get on the score sheet. And Fran Kirby is starting to chase after that golden boot. She's got 12 goals, so really exciting stuff to see from Fran. She's having a fantastic season. And then the next match was Aston Villa and Brighton of Albion. Brighton emerged victorious yet again. Holt Powell coming off of a FAWSL February Manager of the Month award. Aileen Whalen and Kegman scored. I believe it's Alyssa Kegman scored for Brighton Hove Albion and propelled them to another win. So now with that result, Brighton, I believe, are all the way up in seventh. So they have really been playing really, really well. They're not too far behind. Or I believe they just surpassed Everton. Let me double... Or I'm sorry. They just surpassed Reading to go into sixth. So Brighton's been playing out of their mind lately, and I really admire that about them. Uh, next match was Bristol City and Manchester City. Manchester City dominated this one but to a lesser degree than what I thought they would more on that in the previous episode if you're interested however who all scored for Manchester City Caroline Weir Ellen White and Sam Mewis coming back from her injury I believe it was her first match back since she sprained her ankle so really good to see her back and also scoring goals for City the last match of Wednesday March 17th was West Ham United and Birmingham City this one is a real heartbreaker for West Ham because they were leading all the way up until the 94th minute, which basically the end of stoppage. Uh, Flaherty and Emily Van Eggman ended up scoring for West Ham. Birmingham City, if I'm not mistaken, Murphy and Haley Mace ended up scoring for Birmingham City. Did I say Birmingham City twice on accident? I'm sorry. I meant Flaherty and Emily Van Eggman scored for West Ham United, and then Murphy and Haley Mace scored for Birmingham City. So sorry if I got you guys confused there for a second, but West Ham United, like I said, had the lead all the way up until the 94th minute when Mace ended up getting the equalizer for Birmingham City, which considering West Ham United are right now in the relegation spot, they've got to be gutted at losing out on all three points like that because those extra two points, it could really, it, it could have really crawled them out of that spot, especially with two games in hand. It could have been a real big confidence booster for them. So they'll definitely be gutted in this one. But at the end of the day, that's football, and we'll see what happens as the season kind of goes. There's about five games left, if I'm not mistaken. Of course, for some teams, there will be more because of postponements. But if if you're all caught up on matches, you've got five left for your respective clubs. So 
What are the other two matches that occurred for match week 17? On Friday, the big one happened. The must win for Arsenal uh, taking on Manchester United. Arsenal got their must win. They defeated Manchester United by scoreline of 2-0. My heart was broken, unfortunately, but hey, I'm just one person in a giant world of football, so all of our hearts have been broken at least a couple times, right? So, uh, for the Arsenal uh, score sheet, Joe Ward took the ball up to the left-hand side of the pitch early on in the match. Arsenal started off very good on the front foot. She went to have, I guess, a cross shot, I guess is the best way to describe it. It deflected off of Millie Turner flew past Mary Earps and went into goal. So it went down on the score sheet as an own goal, but Joe Roy was the cause of it. So take that for what you will. Um, and then the second goal of the match came from Latwubin Moy in the 51st minute off of a set piece. Katie McCabe got, I believe, her 12th assist of the season. So good on her for that. And Wubin Moy had a wonderful header that ended up in the back of the net. And that's all she wrote for the scoring. So it was a very tense match from what I saw. Um, I'll talk a little bit about what this result means for the Champions League uh, going forward, so I'll save that for a little bit later in the episode. Um, the last match of the match week actually just wrapped up about an hour ago. Tottenham Hotspur and Bristol City ended up taking each other on. I believe this was a makeup from a postponement, but the final score ended up being Tottenham Hotspur 1, Bristol City 1, so... Bristol City get another much-needed point. Every game matters to them because, like I said, they're in that relegation battle, so every point counts. Really exciting stuff for them. Uh, with all those results down and out of the way, what does the league table end up looking like? So we'll catch you guys all up on here. I'll go really slowly in case you're listening on audio right now. So in first, with no games in hand, we've got Chelsea at 44 points. In second, we've got Manchester City, no games in hand, at 42 points. In third, we've got Manchester United, no games in hand, 35 points. In fourth, we have Arsenal with one game in hand, 32 points. In fifth, we have Everton, no games in hand, 25 points. In sixth, we've got Brighton, seven, I mean, I'm sorry, Brighton, no games in hand, 21 points. Like I said, they jumped all the way to six with their result this week. In seventh, we've got Reading, no games in hand, 20 points. In eighth, we've got Tottenham, no games in hand, 17 points. In ninth, we have Birmingham City with one game in hand at 12 points. In tenth, we've got Aston Villa with two games in hand at 10 points. We've got Bristol City with no games in hand at 10 points. And then lastly, we have West Ham United with two games in hand at nine points. So what are some really big jarring things that have happened in the table with these results? Well, Bristol City are still not in the relegation spot. They've spent a few weeks now, I believe, out of the last five not being in the relegation zone, which is a good sign for them. However, with Aston Villa and West Ham still having two games in hand, that makes the relegation battle really, really interesting because they can make up a ton of ground in those two postponed matches and could leave Bristol City in the dust. So those matches are going to matter big for West Ham and Aston Villa. Next week, West Ham takes on Manchester United. So... I don't anticipate they'll walk away with the win from that, but who knows, because Manchester United seem to be pretty gassed at this point. Uh, the next thing to note, Manchester United still remain in that third Champions League spot. However, keep in mind that Arsenal have that game in hand, so that's something to keep in mind as well. And how about Brighton climbing all the way up to the sixth spot on the table? Not too long ago, they were ninth or 10th, and now they have moved up severely in the table 
and against really convincing wins against pretty decent teams too. So those are my main takeaways from the FAWSL table um, with match week 17 down out of the way. But now with all of the table down out of the way, what does the golden boot race end up coming out to be? So right now, the top women's Super League goal scorer is Vivian Miedema. I still stand by that. I think she will end the season being the third Golden Boot winner, award winner in a row. I worded that really poorly. I'm sorry. She will have, I think by the time the season's over, she will have won the Golden Boot award for the third time in a row. Vivian has been the WSL's leading goal scorer in, in history, and she continues to carry that mantle and do really well in it. So I don't think that'll change come season's end but trailing close behind her we have two players in second Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr both of Chelsea they both have 12 goals um I forgot to mention how many goals Viv Miedema has she has 14 currently sorry about that then we have two players tied for fourth we have Caitlin Ford of Arsenal and Ellen White of Manchester City both with nine goals apiece then I'll just go down to the sixth spot in six we have Pernille Harder of Chelsea with eight goals. So make of that what you will. I think this gets really interesting between Viv Miedema, Fran Kirby, and Sam Kerr as the season is coming to a close. Only five, six games left for a lot of these teams. So it's going to be a spicy, spicy matchup. And then keep in mind, Arsenal's only got, Arsenal's got a game in hand while Chelsea doesn't. So that adds into the mix as well. How about for our assist leaders though? So with Katie McCabe's assist against Manchester United, we now have two players who are tied for first in the top assist award for the WSL. That's Chloe Kelly of Manchester City and Katie McCabe of Arsenal. Both each have 10 assists apiece. Then trailing closely behind in third, we have Beth Mead of Arsenal. She's got eight assists. And fourth, we've got Fran Kirby of Chelsea with seven assists. So Fran Kirby is in the top five for both scoring and assists. So like I said, she's been having a great season. Then tied in fifth for the top assist award, we have two players, both of Chelsea. We have Sam Kerr and Beth England, each with six assists apiece. So Chelsea have been playing out of their minds this year. Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr both are in the top 10 in goals and assists on the season. Actually top five, I'm going to rephrase that, which makes it even more impressive. So I can't wait to see how this is all going to shake up and when all these games get made up, how that's going to change. So keep your eyes open, ladies and gentlemen, because it's going to be very, very interesting. Now, I'm going to kind of circle back to the Arsenal-Manchester United game a little bit and go into a little bit more depth as to what it means for the rest of the season. So, I want to put a disclaimer before I get really deep into this. So, the match was going on while I was away. I had work that day, so I could not watch the match in its entirety. I saw the last 20 minutes, 20 minutes of the match in full, and I saw highlights, so keep that in mind as I kind of give my post-match reaction and analysis and thoughts. Um, so with Arsenal's win, inevitably what has happened is they have taken control of their own destiny. What exactly does that mean? So hypothetically speaking, if Arsenal and Man United were to both win out for the rest of the season, what would happen is Arsenal would get into that third Champions League spot and be ahead on goal difference because right now they've got, I believe, a plus 46 goal difference while Manchester United only has a positive 17 goal difference. So if both teams were to win out, they both have 50 points by season's end. But with that goal difference, Arsenal would get into that third Champions League spot. So by Manchester United losing to Arsenal, 
Arsenal have taken advantage of their must-win factor and taken control of their destiny. So that's what essentially I mean by that. Um, do I think that both teams have a shot to win out? Do I think they'll both win out? I think that there's a chance that both of them will win out. I think with Arsenal, they have been they have gotten really hot on form at the right time. So I think for them, it's more likely. Manchester United, to me, have gotten really ice cold. And this is me speaking as a Man United fan. Also want to put in that little disclaimer. My heart was pretty broken after this match ended up going down with the final whistle. But from what I saw in the match with United... I'll sum up by saying this. I don't think they'll win out for the rest of the season. There's a chance. Of course there's a chance. Casey Stoney has a, does a really great job of getting the squad to recover. But here's the issue. During the match, they had quite a few chances in the first half, at least like I said from what I saw from the highlights, and they did not make the most of their chances. A lot of their shots were high, wide, their passing was off. Players are getting really frustrated with each other. They did not take the most advantage of the chances that they created for themselves and I think it inevitably left them really frustrated and to be frank really gassed by the end of the match like when I was watching those last 20 minutes I just kept thinking to myself like wow these players look really really tired and I don't know if that's a byproduct of a lot of players being injured Leah Galton was out for this game Tobin Heath is obviously still injured and those are two of some of the best wingers in the WSL. So, of course, that's going to have an impact on United, which as a fan, it can be frustrating, but that, you know, that's part of the game. It happens. Um, players get injuries and they get knocks, and you just have to kind of roll with the punches. But nevertheless, United looked really, really tired. And I honestly don't blame them for being as, if they are, in fact, tired, as it were. Maybe they just had a bad day, but I don't really blame them because they have played really, really well um, this entire season and they have given it their all like I this isn't a team that I look at and I'm like they don't click they don't gel they're lazy none of those things are true in fact I think it's all the opposite I think they have just given so much this season and now that we're starting to wind down and getting to the end I think they're getting a little tired like I said all speculation all opinion but that's just my thoughts from watching the games unfold as a fan it can be kind of frustrating to watch because it's like they had such this great start and a lot of that a lot of Fans like myself were thinking, could they win the title this year in just their third year in existence, which would have been absolutely phenomenal. But hey, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think that United, by keeping Casey Stoney in the squad that they have and home growing them, I think it's only going to help them in the long run. Having said that, do I think that them acquiring Tobin Heath and Kristen Press was a positive thing? Absolutely. I think for Tobin Heath, it was more of a positive. But I think that they need to bolster their squad a little bit more maybe go out and buy uh I think they could use a forward or a striker more in particular they have some solid ones but Lauren James and Ella Toon, I think are the future in that respect at least from a center forward center attacking mid winger perspective but I think they need a pure bona fide world proven striker while Lauren James and Ella Toon continue to grow because they're not quite there yet, but I think they will definitely get there someday. I One of my running theories in my head right now is, is, is that if um, Vivian Miedema, for whatever reason, doesn't want to play for Arsenal anymore, I could see United maybe be wanting to buy her and bring her over to the club because it to me it just makes a ton of sense. It seems as though she loves playing in England. Um, she likes it a lot more than Germany, at least from the... Um, the implications that I can tell in the interviews that I have seen. So I 
I, I, as a fan, like I said, it's just pure fan theory. I think it'd be so much fun if United bought her and brought her into the club because I think it could be positive. But I've kind of gone off on a tangent. I apologize for that. But just that this is all leading to those particular thoughts um, going down the stretch. So I don't think it's all gloom and doom for United after this result. It's just with them losing this. Even if they came away with a draw, even if they came away with the draw, they would have put themselves in a much better position to get to the Champions League spot. Because then if they drew to Arsenal and they won out for the rest of the season, they'd be ahead on points. So um, full credit to Arsenal for winning this one when they needed to most. And if you're United, you're just pretty much gutted at the result. And I'm sure Casey Stoney and all the players probably feel the same way. It was really interesting to see. I have never seen Kristen Press get frustrated with a teammate ever. And she, I, it looks like she got pretty frustrated with Jackie Gronin. There was a chance in the first half when she was trying to go for one of her famous curlers and it went a little bit wide and she looks at, and she had received a pass that was behind her. And if she got it in front of her, she probably would have gotten off sooner. And that pass came from Jackie Gronin. She's telling her, get it, the ball in front of me. It was really interesting to see. Um, if you're more curious on that exact moment, go ahead and watch some of the highlights and you'll find it. But I think it just shows that United, they're, they're tired, they're gassed, they're getting frustrated, and it just wasn't their day, not all things were clicking. So something super, super interesting in that aspect. On the flip side of the coin for Arsenal, they have just come alive in the last month since returning from international break. Going into the international break, there was a lot of unrest, I guess you could say, within the fandom, at least from what I've seen in the world of Woso. They were losing games, players... Didn't look like they were having a good time at all. Um, speculation about transfer rumors and stuff like that. And they weren't getting results. And now, ever since the international break came to an end, I believe they've won every single game. And they've scored at least two or three goals in every game. Players are scoring consistently. They're scoring uh, great quality goals. The only thing I can think of with Arsenal that hurt them this game was they were really reckless in their fouls. Beth Mead got sent off pretty early on. It was in the 62nd minute. To me, that's early to get sent off. But um, she just got frustrated. In, in my opinion, she just got frustrated with her second tackle. She lost the ball and she decided to foul and it cost her. And it, I think United probably should have taken more advantage of the fact that Arsenal only had 10 players for a whole third of the game. But you know, that's, like I said, wasn't there today. That's how the cookie crumbles. So um, the match was really just kind of going off of that red card, the match was really ferocious in general. I could just tell players were getting really into it with each other. I believe if I'm thinking of the right situation, I believe there was one instance where Katie McCabe and Katie Zellum got into it a little bit, which was like, wow, you could tell that there was a lot of passion going into this game. And rightfully so, right? Because this was, in my mind, this was inevitably for that third Champions League spot, or at least a big indicator of it. So I think both teams gave it all they had in this match. It's just with Arsenal winning, they've put themselves in a really fine position. And Manchester United have put themselves in a really tough position. So at the end of the day, I'm going to say this out loud, and I'm going to hate to say this out loud. But if I had to guess, I think Arsenal is going to win out and get to that third uh, Champions League spot by season's end. And I think United will end up taking fourth in the WSL table. Having said all of that, do I think it's... Uh, do I think that that ends up in a disappointing season for United? 
Disappointing, yes, but a bad season, absolutely not. I think that they keep getting better every year since they've been existing for the last three seasons. First, they start by winning the, the championship, then taking top five in the WSL last season, and then taking top four this season. Everything's going in the right direction, and they're doing things right by building slowly and creating a solid foundation with a great manager, homegrown players, and just doing everything they can in order to like I said, build that foundation for the club so that it can grow forever. So I think no matter how it turns out, this is a great season for them. Of course, they'll be gutted if they don't make Champions League, but I don't think they should hang their heads at all. I think this has been a great season for them. But still, that's all if they don't make the Champions League. There's still a chance that they could, and I'm still holding on to that hope for all that I can. So... Ladies and gentlemen, what do you make of the Arsenal-Man United result? Who do you think is going to make it to the third Champions League spot? Do you think it's going to be Arsenal? Do you think it's going to be United? Uh, one other thought that I just forgot to throw in really quick is that if either of these teams are going to drop points, I think it's going to be to Everton. Arsenal play Everton, I believe, up next, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm going to be watching that match like a hawk because even if they draw to Everton, that makes a lot of way for United to come in and grab that third spot. So... We'll see, but whatever you make of the result, feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know what you think. Alrighty, so I kind of want to examine the relegation battle in the WSL currently, as it were, because like I said earlier, there are three teams that are, to me, in the relegation battle. It's between Aston Villa, Bristol City, and West Ham. But the hard part about talking about this relegation battle is the fact that two out of three of those teams still have two games in hand, meaning Bristol, or not, not Bristol City, I'm sorry, Aston Villa and West Ham both have um, two games in hand that they've got to make up. So it makes a big difference, especially when you've got six points on the line for that. And the reality is Aston Villa have 10 points, Bristol City have 10 points, West Ham have nine points. There's only a point separating those three teams. So anything could really happen. And every result obviously is going to matter a ton. Which team do I think is going to be the most likely to get relegated? I'm just going to go through the remaining matches that each team has with the exception of their postponed ones. And then we'll kind of go from there. So who does Aston Villa have up for the rest of the season? Not including postponents. They've got Chelsea. They've also got Everton, they've got West Ham, they've got Bristol City, that's going to be a monumental match. They've got West Ham, a monumental match, and they've got Arsenal. So they have a pretty interesting schedule. They play two teams that are in the top five, they play two teams that are they're currently in the relegation battle against, so that's going to be super interesting. And the icing on the cake for that is the fact that they play West Ham and Bristol City within the last uh, three weeks of the season. So that is, that's just going to be, I, I'm going to be watching every single one of those matches really closely, at least hopefully. On the flip side of that, who does West Ham have left to face for the rest of the season? Excuse me as I pull up the schedule. So next week, West Ham is going to be taking on Manchester United. Then when we transition over to April, they're going to be taking on Reading. Then they'll play Aston Villa, like I alluded to earlier. Then they'll play Everton. And then they will round off the season by playing against Aston Villa again. I didn't realize they're playing Aston Villa twice. Maybe that's one of the makeup games. That is one of the makeup games. So sorry, I didn't mention that earlier. 
but then they'll end the season by playing Manchester City. So same situation for them again. They get to play one of their relegation battle opponents twice before the end of the season. Uh, so those matches are going to be huge for them. If they can win those games, it certainly makes a good case that Aston Villa maybe might get relegated. We'll see. But then they also play two top five teams in Manchester United and Manchester City, which is pretty harsh. And it's pretty painful. And I believe they also played Everton. I'm, yeah, and they also play Everton. So they play three top five teams. Out of all teams, I think West Ham will probably have the toughest schedule going into the end of the season. But then again, they've also got the most opportunity. They've also got the most opportunity because they get to play the relegation opponents multiple times. So those games are really going to be the ones that matter the most. And then lastly... What about Bristol City? What do they have for the rest of the season? So Bristol City, to round off March, they are going to take on Birmingham City, which Birmingham City have so many games in hand that I didn't really include them in this relegation battle because there's just there's just not enough info for me to really talk about it in depth. Um, then Bristol City is going to take on Arsenal in April, and then they'll also take on Aston Villa, so another relegation opponent that they can face off against. Then to end the season in May, they're going to be taking on Manchester United. And then to finish the season, they'll take on Brighton. So Bristol City's schedule doesn't look as terrible, I think, as West Ham's in terms of strength of opponents. They've got United. They've got, why am I forgetting? Oh, Arsenal. Uh, those are going to be obviously the two toughest opponents they face. But other than that, they face quite a few teams that are in, they face two teams that are in the bottom of the table and then a team that is in the mid table and performing really, really well as of right now in Brighton. So I think that out of all teams, I think Bristol City and Aston Villa probably are at a tie for who's got the toughest schedule till the end of the season. But I think West Ham with them facing three teams in the top five, they've also got a pretty strong schedule. But then again, they get to face um, their relegation opponents multiple times. So I think who's going to have the most diverse schedule and like how it could end out is really unclear is probably West Ham because they could just lose to all three of those top five teams but then they could win against all of their relegation opponents and then that could be the decider so I think the wild card in their relegation battle is going to be West Ham Bristol City and Aston Villa I think their future is a little bit more clear I guess you could say because of their strength of schedule at the end of the day though who do I think is really going to get relegated? If I had to put my money on it, I'm going to have to go with West Ham United because with this result that they just had against Birmingham City where they gave up the lead in just the 94th minute, I think that morale is really going to be a gut punch for them. And I don't know if... Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to recover from that, especially with the season that they've been having. And Bristol City, I think, is on the upswing. So I'm kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt in this one. Aston Villa could very well also be relegated as well, but they've got a little bit easier of a schedule going forward. And I think Aston Villa are just the better team at this point. West Ham, I just don't think, have a strong enough squad to really have, the, I guess, the stones to really stay up and stay in the WSL by the season's end. So there's only one way to find out. We'll have to see how these next five to six weeks play out. And we'll have to stay tuned. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to know what you think. Who do you think will be relegated by season's end? Who do you think will be champions? Who do you think will be in the Champions League? Whatever you think, feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know what your thoughts are. And with all the WSL news down and out of the way, 
that'll do it for all of our topics. Ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for this installment of the Women's Soccer Slash Football Podcast. I just want to say thanks again for sticking around on the channel and for indulging in the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. I hope to see you in the very next episode. But until then, have a great day.